Hey everybody, and welcome back to Liquid Sound, a show dedicated to music, songwriting, and the creative process. I'm your host, Gino Bran, and we're brought to you in cooperation with the Liquid Arts Network, connecting artists and communities since 2000. Today our featured guest is Eagleson Le Gagneur. I've generally known Eagleson as a wonderful percussionist that brightens up any song he's accompanying, but in addition to all that, he's also been working on compositions that combine his interest in classical music with rhythms from his native country of Haiti. He hasn't recorded them yet, but he has written them on music notation software, so what you'll be hearing today is the MIDI representation of those compositions. So he joined me in the studio to talk about the best way to saw a log, the 21 rhythms of Haiti, four keys to a successful drum circle, and lots more. And we ended our session with an in-studio creation that we scratched together in a pretty short time, about an hour or so, where he laid down some various percussion tracks, I recorded a few guitar loops, and then he finished it off with a lead conga track. It was a, a fun little creation, which you'll be hearing at the end of the episode. The first of his tracks we listened to is called Danse Igbo.
Eagleson Lagagne. Welcome to Liquid Salad, man. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Geno, uh, for um, hosting me. For sure. It's going to be a pleasure spending some time today with you. It's been a while, right? Almost a year. <laughs> it's, it's hardly believable, but yes. Yeah. So that was Danse Igbo. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that song? Yes. Uh, I, I wrote this song. It was actually a demonstration that I wrote for a friend who wanted to learn about uh, Afro-Haitian rhythms. And oh. I, I picked that one um, because I wanted to um, showcase that rhythm, the Igbo rhythm, which is a rhythm we got from, from Nigeria. It's a kind of music we've been playing since the colonial period and uh, that we keep playing. Now, I don't know how close it remains to the original Igbo uh, musical culture in Nigeria. That's something that needs to be investigated, but that's where it, it's from. I'm so curious, like with all of the different influences that you must have had in mm -hmm. Haiti, what are some of the ones that stand out to you most? Um, it, it is very diverse, as you said, and it's hard to really pick something because of that. I've been influenced by, of course, Afro-Haitian rhythms, a lot of that, but also Latin music. Uh, because we play quite a few Latin rhythms too in Haiti. Jazz, mm -hmm. I would say also, um, how, how could I put it? Uh, it's church music, but it's probably not something that you're used to in terms of what you hear in churches in the U.S. because the music in churches in Haiti are quite... Uh, is quite different from what you would hear in churches in North America and Europe, for example. But it's all of that that kind of made me who I am as a musician. How would you say that the church music is in Haiti then? Uh, huh. Again, it depends. Again, there's yeah. a diversity in it. Again, It depends on what church you go to, uh, whether it's Protestant or Catholic. Okay. That's going to make a difference. But I would say, I would give you an example. Uh, if you go to a Catholic church in, in Europe or in North America, it's rather solemn. Mm -hmm. And musical instruments you'll find would probably include a, um, an organ, mm -hmm. a pipe or electric, electronic, or pianos mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. But uh, Catholic churches in Haiti would use local instruments. You'll find congas, drum sets, um, guitars, and also we use local rhythms uh, for the, the songs you'd hear at mass in Haiti. It's mm. very, very different. I've had friends coming from North America and they were quite surprised mm -hmm. by how lively Catholic masses are compared to what they are used to in, in, in America, for example. Is that kind of where you first got started playing music and doing music yes. was in church? Yeah. Yes, I started in church and I was going to that church uh, when I was very young. I was very shy when my family decided, okay, you need to join one of those groups at church because we need to get that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started learning drumming and uh, we had people who were older and they were uh, showing us, but it wasn't like formal school. You just go and you watch, and at some point you're invited to join in. And I remembered my first day; it was quite funny because I had no clue what to do with the drums. <laughs> and uh, but slowly you start to pick it up, and then you go back home and you practice with kids in your neighborhood um, on buckets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and that's how I got into drumming. Cool. Was that so? That was your first instrument. Then was percussion. Yes, it was percussion. Mm. I love percussion because I feel like there's with percussion and the voice with vocals. There's 
kind of a low barrier to entry in that like anybody can hit a bucket, anybody mm-hmm. can sing a song. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it takes a lot to do that mm-hmm. well. You're absolutely right about it. I mean, growing up from Haiti, I didn't grow up in a rich neighborhood, in a mm-hmm. rich family. Affording a piano was out of the question, mm-hmm. <laughs> for example. Mm-hmm. So uh, percussion was, as you said, it's very easy to access. It's uh, um, anything can be a drum. As we said, we started using buckets, gallons of water, mm-hmm. cups, tin cups, anything we could find, cans. Uh, and these were our first drums. And although it's very rustic and it's not, as good as a an industrial drum, like the ones, the commercial drums you have, you, you can see here. But what you learn from it is you learn rhythm. And that's the most important thing. Once you get rhythm, then you can play on anything. So the base of our musical education started with that, with learning rhythmic patterns and how to combine sounds and how to combine rhythmic patterns with and especially playing with other people and learn to listen to what the other drummers are doing and see how you can fit in Mm. and that was a great experience i feel like that's such an important part of percussion too is just being really good at listening to what everybody else is doing and then finding which spot that you want to that you want to highlight yes you're, you're right and and that's actually true of every musical instrument. Sure. The, one of the best thing a musician can do is to learn to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're playing the guitar or the piano on a band, if you're not able to listen to the singer and the other in, uh, musicians playing with you, then you know it's probably not going to be as good as you want. So developing that skill of listening to the other person helps a lot. Mm-hmm. So you started on percussion then, mm-hmm. and then where did you pick up other instruments as well? Because I know you play a few others. Yeah, I play a little bit of guitar too. Uh-huh. Um, I, in my family, we can say we are like a family of musicians. Okay. My father plays the guitar. Um, all my aunts, for example, sing in choirs at the church. My uncles some play the piano, the bass, the guitar. And we are, in Haiti, the culture is like, oh, your extended family are still part of the family. So when a, when a Haitian tells you family, it's not just mother and father and brother and sister. Mm. It's uncles and aunts and cousins and everybody. And we are pretty close. So we used to get together um, during summer vacation time. We go to the countryside at my grandfather's house. And we are all there, all my uncles, all my aunts. And it's the countryside of Haiti. There's no electricity in that area. So the only entertainment we have is music. So we get together as a family and we play music. And that's how I started listening to the guitar and then later picked it up by kind of fooling around with my father's guitar. He wasn't very happy with it at first (laughs) because I would break strings. I would, Mm -hmm. you know, mess it up a bit, mess up the tuning and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, eventually, he realized that I, I liked it, and he was like, okay, fine, I'm going to show you how to do it. And mm-hmm. then he started showing me a few things. And then later, I decided to buy a book and then learn things. And I, I can't say that I'm like a professional guitar player, but I, I can have fun sometimes. <laughs> so a lot of that musical education probably happened in the home then with all of the different family members? Yes, oh. uh, in the home at church in my neighborhood uh, drum circles with the kids. Um, again, I never attended a formal music school. <laughs> you didn't? No. Oh. No. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of strange, but I never attended a formal music school. I, I had a friend 
started to teach me how to read music. He taught me the basics of like reading basic time signatures and three four two four and four four. Mm -hmm. And then later on, I learned more using the internet and books that I could buy. That's kind of how I learned how to read music. Um, but I never attended the formal music school uh, because that's something that doesn't really. Well, it exists in Haiti, but it's not accessible. Mm -hmm. Unless you have a lot of money, you can't afford to attend a formal music school in Haiti. Mm -hmm. I've taken a few composition courses mm -hmm. online. Most of them while I'm here in Korea. You know, I've just, I, I like to learn. I keep learning every day. I just go on the internet, find something. I keep learning, uh, whether it's about harmonization, um, voice leading, uh, which I've also learned. But I've done all of this either by watching videos online or from a book that I've bought. Mm -hmm. That's it. Just independently. Yes. Just out of curiosity kind of. Yeah. I find that I, I learn better on my own yeah, okay. than when I'm being taught. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is something that's strange for a teacher, right. <laughs> but that's kind of who I am. Why um, do you think that is? Because I think I like to explore things. I don't want to be limited to what I'm given. So when I'm learning something, I like to sometimes go faster and to explore, uh, to explore it in depth. And it's not always organized, <laughs> but it's just like, I think I learn it better if I'm interested in it. Mm -hmm. And when you have a teacher that is kind of taken away from you because mm -hmm. it's more structured, uh, maybe it has to do with some kind of a rebellious personality <laughs> that I have, but that's kind of how I feel. Mm -hmm. I've always found, especially when, when I'm writing music, that rhythm is the most difficult thing for me to write. Mm -hmm. Also the most difficult thing for me to read, you mm -hmm. know, if I'm like reading a, mm -hmm. a jazz chart or something, it's mm -hmm. the, the thing that always takes me the most time to figure out is, mm -hmm. is the rhythm. But I don't know if you, have you found a similar challenge with like writing rhythms? Uh, I would say, Learning to read it was yeah. challenging. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's a lot of dotted 16th notes going on with exactly, a lot of those. Yeah, and triplets and everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, for me, understanding rhythm was probably the easiest thing in music. Mm -hmm. Not because of some super form of intelligence or anything, but because I grew up with it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you grow up with something, you hear it so, so much that it becomes part of you. You can just feel it. I, I remember actually when I started learning drumming as a child, it's because someone actually said that I wasn't playing anything. I was, someone was drumming and I was just tapping with my hands. Hmm. And uh, I remembered one of my father's friends was there and he's like, hey, your little guy here, he's going to be a drummer. <laughs> and I heard it when he said it and I'm like, huh. Maybe I should try that. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's because if you grow up in Haiti, especially in the countryside of Haiti, you grow up with rhythms. You will hear uh, rhythms because you will hear them at the farms. So people go to the farms to work and after working for a day, uh, they play music on their way back home. And if you grow up in the countryside, you will hear that music. You will hear that rhythm. None of these people are formally educated for like music. They've never attended, even attended school, <laughs> let alone musical school. Mm -hmm. But what I've heard those guys do is mind-blowing. Mm. And you grow up as a child listening to that. You ended up picking it up. And then later, of course, when I started learning how to read music, 
then it all started to make sense to me. It made even more sense. And then now I can write it. But perhaps that's what makes it a little bit easier. It's still challenging though at, at, at times uh, because there are things you hear, you feel. And then once you try to commit it to paper, you realize that, oh, okay, there are other things that I didn't realize about this. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's still a little challenging. But I would say um, I find it easier than, let's say, harmony, for example. Yeah. I always like to ask people about kind of the first, some early memories of, of writing songs. Mm -hmm. What first got you interested in it? Do you remember creating songs on your own? That, that is something that is strange. How can I say that? I cannot say I was composing because I didn't write it down. Okay. But ever since I was a child, I was humming melodies like mm. that, random, mm -hmm. <laughs> random melodies that didn't make sense to a lot of people most of the time because they were just kind of things I was hearing in my mind. But again, because I didn't have the tools to write them down. At that time, I didn't know how to read music yet. Okay. Uh, I couldn't write them down. I didn't have money to record them. And they didn't even make sense to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought I was just doing it as, I don't know, play. You know, you're a child. To me, it was a game. But I can say, like, the first melody I can remember that I kind of got attached to, I did it maybe when I was 12. I just sat there and and I was just, like, humming it. And uh, at that point, I wasn't thinking about writing music or composing music. But that's, like, the first time I can remember I sat down and I was, like, trying to put notes together in a way that it would sound like just a simple melody. And then I kept doing that throughout the rest of my life, mm -hmm. even if I couldn't record the songs or even write them down. And, and that's actually why I started to learn how to write music, because at some point I realized that if I were going to be able to save some of the ideas that I have, I needed a, a way to write it down. Do you happen to remember that melody, what it was? Uh bit of it. Okay. <laughs> a bit of it. It went like this. It was just like that. It wasn't. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. It's very joyous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just using it for, like, I would dance to it and like, you know, you know, you, when you're a child. Sure. You, <laughs> and I think a lot of people were looking at me kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When when I was doing that, but in it was something that just got in my mind, and I felt like I had to express it, mm -hmm. and I did, and and I used kind of you know I put it together with kind of dance and play, and yeah, <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, uh, I'd love to hear another song. Mm -hmm. I can't pronounce it. Larry Adangier. Uh, Larry Adangier. Okay. Uh -huh. Cool. Do you want to introduce this song? Yes. Laria Dangeri. Actually, I wrote this song um, in the beginning of the pandemic because we were online trying to inform people back in Haiti mm -hmm. about the, the, the pandemic and what was going to happen. Uh, the title means the streets are dangerous. Wow. <laughs> yes. So we were trying. That was a way. I made that short video and uh, there are lyrics to it that actually recorded uh, not professionally, but just to put on the internet because I was trying to let people know that it's not a good idea to be out on the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, we were trying to help people stay home 
and there was a huge movement on Facebook, on other social networks uh, back home with Haitians abroad and at home trying to inform the people. Uh, because quite honestly, our government is not doing a great job at that. So it, we, like the citizens, took it upon themselves to really help people understand what was going on with, uh, with COVID-19 and how they can protect themselves. That's how I wrote that song. Um, I initially wrote it for a band, and then I ended up writing that uh, version for an orchestra. <laughs> okay.
So a lot of these songs that you've presented today are MIDI, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, mm-hmm. you used uh, notation software. You said you didn't use Finale, right? You used uh, no, I use uh, a different notation software. Okay, uh, I used MuseCore. Okay, and so you're planning on eventually recording these songs, hopefully. I, I hope someday I'll be able to do that. Um, I'll be able to record them professionally mm-hmm. and um, have enough musicians. Uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of hard when you're writing for orchestras and you're not a known composer already. Yeah. Um, getting an orchestra interested in performing your work is quite uh, it's it's quite difficult. Well, like for example, the last song that we heard. How many different instruments do you think you would need for that? Um, oh gosh, it's it's in it's composed for a symphony orchestra. It is. Yes, so wow. it's it's a lot. Wow, it's a lot. So how did you kind of learn about like how to compose for a whole symphony? Like you have to figure out the range of all the different. I parts. learned all of that online. Okay. Yes, I I just went online and and find the resources, um, and figure out the ranges uh, for different instruments, the different sections of the orchestra, and uh, also I listened to a lot of classical music and uh, a lot of orchestral compositions, 21st century compositions, 20th century compositions too. So I listen to a wide range of orchestral works Hmm. and I learn from them. I'm still learning. Right now I'm working on an online orchestration course. I'm learning a lot from it and I hope I'll be able to put all that into my music in the future. Do you sort of start with a blank page and you have like a basic idea of what you want to do, and mm-hmm. then you kind of fill in the different parts of an orchestra? Mm-hmm. Or do you sort of think of it as an orchestral presentation in the first place? Uh, no. When I first started, I used to think about it as an orchestral presentation in the first place because uh, that's something crazy that happens to composers. You hear voices in your mm-hmm. head, but not everything you hear is possible or it's going to work. <laughs> so uh, right now, this is what I do. I usually start with an idea, whether it's a little bit of a motive or it's a melody. I start with that. And I usually write a simple, how can I say that, uh, reduced version of it using a piano and any other instrument, guitar or flute or whatever for the melody. And then from that, I can start to orchestrate, mm-hmm. uh, decide which part I'm going to assign to which section of the orchestra, which instruments are going to play it. Most of the time, it's, it's a trial and error process. Uh, you, may have, you may think that, you know, the oboes are going to be great for this, but then you try it and you're like, oh, no, it's not exactly mm-hmm. what I feel. So you change it to a different instrument. That's what I do. I start with the melody or motif and then write a write it for piano and then from that piano part i expand it to the orchestra okay it's such an interesting kind of music when you are combining your native haitian understanding of rhythms and combining that with Mm -hmm. with like 21st century orchestral (laughs) stuff right yes it is and especially that last piece we just listened to yeah um in in fact it's it's very traditional actually it's Mm. a it's a rara style of music Okay. Oh, is uh, is Haitian farmers' music. They they played in the countryside um, during the Lent festival, and uh, as you can hear, it's mixolydian. 
but again, the people who play that music have no idea mm. what the Mixolydian scale is. Right. But because they grew up listening to it, and I grew up listening to it too, too and before I could know what you know those words were, <laughs> I, I was listening to people singing in Mixolydian and had no clue what it was. So you take that, and now I, I kind of figure out how I can put it together with the orchestra because you, it would not normally be an orchestra that plays that kind of music. But if you can think of the sounds, you can figure out which instruments in the orchestra could give you something that is close enough to that sound in terms of timbre and range and also their function in the music, uh, which one's going to be performing the bass part or the mid ranges and the highest uh, uh, ranges in it. Ultimately, what I'd like to be able to do is to get to the point where I can write a symphony and incorporate some traditional Afro-Haitian rhythms into it and see how I can try to create an, a new idea with it. I'm just hoping that it's going to work, but that's my, that's my dream. It would be a really interesting fusion to combine like Korean traditional music with, mm -hmm. with like Afro-Cuban rhythms. I don't know if anybody's done that kind of thing. I know these days I hear a lot of, or there seem to be some interest in music that's combining like Korean traditional music with mm -hmm. hip hop or mm -hmm. with pop music and things mm -hmm. like that. But it would be quite an interesting fusion. I, think. I don't know if it would work. <laughs> I would be you interested know. in exploring that and see what comes out of it. Yeah. Now, you know what? Uh, that's something I, I, especially about precautions. There's something that I notice um, with a little bit of uh, creativity and probably a dash of craziness. <laughs> you, you can get those things to work. Uh -huh. um, you, you can decide to just take any Korean rhythm and say, okay, I'm going to try to mix this with anything. Latin music, jazz, classical music, <laughs> and, and, and see what you get. And sometimes we can be shocked what the result is. And, uh, and it's something I encourage any musician to try to do because I think it brings cultures together. Mm. It brings people together. And it, it makes it clearer to more people that in the end, we're not that different. And, and that's a good thing to communicate through arts. Mm -hmm. All cultures have music. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, no matter where you go, if you play music, even if it's the first time the person hears that style of music, people will be dancing. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's something we can use to build bridges between cultures and civilizations and countries and people. I've been actually listening to some, is it like Korean farmers music with the, um, what do we call this drum? The, the, the little round one. Actually, I found it quite close to a lot of Afro-Haitian rhythms we play in terms of the meter, but also in terms of the way it's organized. The only difference with it is... Um, it is mainly monorhythmic, uh, except for the gong, the kind of bell instrument that's in there. But it, the way it's organized, and maybe it's because a lot of Haitian drumming is used for farming too, so it kind of has the same origin. Uh, I, find, I found a lot of similarities between them. And I think, I haven't tried it yet, but I think we could merge them. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's, it's a bold thing to say, but uh, I think if I sat down with a Korean scholar of music and I kind of learned the inner workings of it, I think there's 
a possibility that we could actually merge that with a lot of Haitian rhythms and it would work. It would be great. Yeah. Eagles, and I think you should definitely do that. I think it would be really cool to I would love to, to do hang it. out with the... Yeah. I would love to do it. Okay. Uh, because when you have 10, that's very close to the Dahomey rhythm we play in Haiti. Okay. It, that, that is actually also based on the same kind of meter and uh, also very energetic. So, uh, you know, it's going to be like... It's a little bit faster, uh, but I, we can slow Dahomey down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's usually what you're going to do when you merge rhythms like that mm-hmm. uh, to find where both of them meet harmoniously and mm-hmm. where you, you can find that you know sweet spot between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah, I think it can. And I would love to do that. Why do you think that, you know, you mentioned that it's far, farmer's music. Mm-hmm. And why do you think that so much music comes from those rural areas? Again, I'm not a scholar, so I didn't do a lot of research on that. Right. Uh, But from my profane kind of observation of (laughs) of the whole thing, I think this is what happens. Uh, Music is, as you said, it's a a human thing. We love music no matter where we are. But in a farming community, which is usually rural, there isn't a lot of entertainment. And usually the only form of entertainment people are left with is music. And that comes in the form of drumming. Uh, It's because, again, it's easier to access. You don't need a lot of sophisticated materials to make a drum. You need skins that you get from the animals from the farm and wood and then strings. And then you just drop it together. That's your instrument. So... Uh, I think this is why a lot, probably why a lot of uh, rural communities develop uh, drumming. It's a form of entertainment for them. Another uh, thing that I've observed too in several cultures is they use rhythm as a way to make work happen. In Haiti, for example, when uh, in the countryside they are trying to uh, saw a big log big trunk of tree there's a huge saw they use you need two people to make it work because it's too big you know you can't make it work with one person that also means those people need to be in sync uh-huh. as they pull it and push it yeah yeah and what they do it's something that may look like that's lazy work for people for outsiders but what they do they always have three people there's one person playing the rhythm <laughs> and then the two people working the swords and they keep rotating Mm-hmm. As they, they, they work on it. So, and it goes like this. So all that rub is them pulling the, the, the saw. <laughs> yes. So they have one person with two sticks doing the rhythm. And they keep doing that for hours and for hours. And sometimes they sing with it along with it too. Uh-huh. It, it, it is amazing. It's so cool. <laughs> it is amazing. But I, actually, I, I wrote, I incorporated that in one of my songs. It's, it's such a beautiful rhythm. It's such a fun rhythm too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember when I was a child in the countryside, going to school, coming back from school, and then there would be those people working, and you would hear it. Like, you can hear it for miles. There's nothing. You have no TV, no radio, no cars. You know, it's quiet. And if someone is playing something, you'll hear it. <laughs> and you'd, you'd hear them in, in the forest. Like, and you know someone's working on making some planks there. <laughs> so, yeah, 
And I think that's how precaution emerges in those communities, because it's entertainment and it's also a way to work. So it's become, it becomes part of life in those communities. Oh, that's so cool, man. Yeah. Great. Well, I'd love to hear Jan Valu flute. Is that mm-hmm. how you said it? Mm-hmm. Jan Valu flute? Uh, Jan Valu is another rhythm that we play in Haiti. It's uh, more of a love kind of rhythm. Okay. <laughs> yes, because those rhythms, we got them from Africa. Some of them are war dances. Some mm-hmm. of them are more religious. And some of them are about love and relationships. And that's why we see. Jan Valu is more mellow and kind of lovely and it's just that rhythm and then I wrote something uh, with the flute and some percussions and, and the guitar You mentioned a lot of the different um, Haitian rhythms. Uh, mm-hmm. Is there a place where you can find all of these? I'm sure there's some kind of different books or mm-hmm. a series of books or something mm-hmm. like that where you can find all of the different rhythms mm-hmm. of Haiti? Oh, those, uh, this tradition, this drumming tradition has been mostly preserved in voodoo temples. Uh, there's a historical reason uh, for that. And this is why you might hear some people refer to them as voodoo rhythms, uh, which I disagree with because, again, um, music is music. Music has no religion. 
those rhythms, uh, we got them from, from Africa. And there in Africa, they are not associated with a religion. They are uh, the drumming traditions of uh, some of the tribes that have been brought to our country. So at some point in Haitian history, after our independence, uh, the country was being pushed towards adopting more European culture. And so this music, this tradition was somehow repressed. Um, you couldn't, you didn't hear it in society. You didn't hear this music in society. It was hidden somewhere. And uh, the place where it was kept alive was in the voodoo temples, which is how it came to be associated with voodoo right now. But at some point, uh, I think in the mid to late 70s, some university students decided that they had to save this tradition. They had to go out and uh, learn this music because it was a very rich uh, drumming tradition that we were about to lose because it was underground. So they went to the voodoo temples and sat down to sat down with the drummers there and learned those rhythms and then brought them back to the city. Then they started codifying them, writing them down, recording them in studios. And then they brought that music to radio and TV. It was quite a shock when it happened because it wasn't something that the society was accepting because again, uh, and, and again, it's because of religion, because a lot of our religions make people believe that this is voodoo music, it's the music of the devil and that they shouldn't play it. Um, it took a lot of intellectuals to go and fight against that mentality and try to save the music. It's right now about 21 rhythms that we have uh, found. There's more. I can assure you of that. There's more. Mm -hmm. But uh, if, if there would be a canon of Afro-Haitian drumming, we would say it includes 21 different rhythms for now. Wow, 21 different rhythms. And I'm sure they're all uh, different levels of complexity as well. Yes. Um, again, that is something you can only realize when you go and see the original forms of those rhythms. Mm -hmm. It's You cannot... Uh, as a drummer, play any of those rhythms by yourself and, and have it complete. Usually it involves a minimum of three drummers. You would have uh, someone who plays something they call the bula, which is the smallest drum. In, I think in range, it's comparable to the high bongo. And that little drum is, is playing a very simple pattern. For example, it can be playing like it's very difficult to play because it's hard to keep that steady <laughs> rhythm for a long time, mm -hmm. but it's what keeps everybody else together. So uh, if there are three drummers, there will, there will be one playing that bula, and then one would be playing the mama drum, and uh, another drum, which is called the, the, the second, the second uh, drum. And, and then they kind of weave it together, and the three gives you the rhythm. And if you remove the bula, the whole rhythm will fall apart. Hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of funny to observe it. We, we, we had a demonstration of that. It was quite interesting. If the bula stops playing, then <laughs> you will start seeing that everybody's falling apart because that's what keeps them together. Then later, you, you may have ensembles with five drummers, seven, depending on what they're playing. If they're playing a pit war, for example, uh, that can involve a lot more than just three drummers. Um, and that's, uh, that's kind of how it works. So pretty much all Afro-Haitian drumming are made with several musicians and 
it is combined together to create that rhythm and not one person plays the whole full pattern of the rhythm you hmm. have to learn how to combine it cool you know you'd mentioned drum circles earlier and i always love a drum circle because it really does take on a complete life of its own it really does have its own personality mm-hmm. what do you think is like the key or the secret to like having a successful drum circle without having it fall mm-hmm. apart or without having it become too mm-hmm. i don't know testosterone fueled or whatever <laughs> okay uh i think there are a lot of different factors i would say mm-hmm. uh the most important one of course is a good sense of rhythm so mm-hmm. everyone involved should has a, should have a good sense of rhythm uh they don't have to be professional drummers they just have to have a good sense of rhythm the other thing is the ability to listen to hear where the other drummers are and what they are doing the third one is a bit of creativity find out what you could bring in into the jam and then finally respect mm-hmm. uh respect for the other drummers that are playing with you uh you're not competing with them mm-hmm you are playing with them not against them in other words when you're in, in inside that ensemble you're you're trying to contribute something without trying to overpower your neighbor and uh and i think it's a beautiful metaphor if we could apply that in life <laughs> it would uh make our lives much easier yeah apply that to the government maybe the first day <laughs> of a new parliament or new congress they all have to play the drums together i think they should do we should have more drum circles in parliament in congress that would help we just solve the world's problems again. oh yeah uh well speaking of performance should we should we play a song oh sure. set something up okay sure, sure. well let's get set up and let's make some music okay let's do it okay
I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Liquid Sound. We'd like to give a big, big thanks to Eagleson Legonier for coming into the studio and sharing his music and his stories with us. If you'd like to hear more of his music, you can find him on his YouTube page, which we will link to in the description notes of this episode. For upcoming info about the Liquid Arts Network, you can find us at liquidartsnetwork.com. If you or someone you know would like your music featured on our show, send an email to liquidsoundpodcast at gmail.com. Please do subscribe to the Liquid Sound Podcast, share the show with your friends, and if you haven't yet, take a moment to give us a review and a five-star rating. It really does help listeners find the show. On behalf of everyone at the Liquid Arts Network team, we thank you so very much for listening today. And until next time, support independent music, support your local arts community, and support each other. And we'll be seeing you very soon. Jen, take it away. No, actually, this is the first one I read. But I think I'll read more. He's pretty in 